Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Ed here, welcome to Digital Voices. So every once in a while, it might be like once a month, but every once in a while, I get to connect with a colleague and a friend that it's been a while since we got to chat and kind of watch each other throughout their careers and just watch them continue to grow and explode and do all sorts of great stuff. And so today is one of those days. This uh, pod is one of those drops. And it's uh, my friend, Cheryl Farino-Wall. And she is, we'll go into it, but I consider her a compliance expert, a cultural influencer, a business strategist, a technology advocate, a chief ethics and compliance officer, a leader, but mostly friend. So Cheryl, with all that, welcome to Digital Voices. Thanks so much for having me today, Ed. It's great to be with you. Yeah, it's going to be cool. We'll, we're going to jump back into a little bit of history. But before we get there, DJ Megan, ever interact with someone from compliance? Like I know you're young in your career. Have you ever worked with a compliance type officer? I have not, no. Okay, what about employee engagement, because that's something else we're going to talk about, both compliance and employee engagement. Yeah. So employee engagement, it's crucial, right? So I feel like the more you're engaged with your employees, the more your employees are engaged with their team. I feel like it positively kind of correlates to job satisfaction and overall performance, and especially in a digital remote world. Yeah. True on all that. So yeah, I think we're going to jump into that. So Cheryl and I first met, Cheryl, I'm thinking... It could have been 2000, 1999. So I started there in 2002. Okay. So if you were there, then that was probably when it was. Yeah. So 2002 and so much fun. We were in the middle of a turnaround. This is University Hospitals in Cleveland. We had done well, you know, for Academic Medical Center, but not well enough. And there was a big turnaround underway and a new CEO was brought in and you were part of that. And I got to be part of that. It was pretty cool what we did great organization. And uh, yeah, so that's where we first met. Then we interacted. I was sort of novice, never really worked much with compliance and learned a lot. And you always stand out to me as as the greatest chief compliance officer I ever served with. Thank you. Because, you know, a lot of times, and we'll get into this, and that's what I want to talk about a little bit before we switch on employee engagement. A lot of times it's almost like a a negative or um, people might have a negative connotation or, you know, something not positive, but actually you position compliance in a positive way as a helpful thing and a partnering thing. And not everyone always approached it that way. So I had other experiences later on, which I won't go into because they're all fabulous people, but they're just different styles. And it was a little bit different. It was like, oh, that's not what I'm used to. You need to talk to my friend Cheryl at University Hospitals. But anyways, I think that's the first time we met. And Cheryl, one of the questions we always ask everyone just to get to know you a little bit is what songs are on your playlist? So, you know, whether it's at work or in play, what what do you like to listen to? I love music, Ed, and I will say anything but country. So I have a, a vast music interest and it might range from jazz to reggae to classic rock to you know, pop 40, but I'm a a gal from the 80s. And so if you were to pull up my most recently played playlist, it would probably have The Cure, The Replacements, some Talking Heads, maybe Rusted Root from my time in Pittsburgh, The Killers. Yeah. So a lot of good bands. Yeah, I love that. I was an ABC person too, anything but country, but then one of my kids, which we won't go into, but one of my kids ended up a career in country music. So it's like, now I have to listen to it and have a little bit better appreciation, but still not my number one go-to. 
But anyways, what about your your passion or life message? Is there like a mantra that you live by or helps guide you? You know, I have this up in my house on a sign and look at it every day. And it's a Winston Churchill expression. And it's very, very simple and easy to remember. Never, never, never give up. And you can apply that in so many contexts, whether personally, professionally, as a parent, and it always seems to apply in many circumstances. So it's something that I think about anytime the going gets tough, you just have to keep going. Yeah. No, I like that. That's uh, part of being resilient. Uh, share with us your story. I've already kind of given a sneak peek and you did too, talking about music, but tell us your story and you can go from a personal or professional perspective or both you know, how you got to where you are today. Well, I'm a recovered lawyer. So I uh, started out my career in the legal profession and I knew I always wanted to be in healthcare. I initially thought from a, as a young child that I wanted to go into the medical profession. And then when I experienced organic chemistry, my sophomore year in college, I realized that perhaps medical school was not in my future. So I decided to pursue medical ethics as a master's program and combined it with a law degree. And what I found was that the intersection of ethics and medicine was fascinating to me. Uh, So I started out in a law firm and then quickly moved into a health system in Louisville, Kentucky, and then eventually came back home to Cleveland, Ohio, and began working as an in-house lawyer with university hospitals. The organization went through some challenges and government investigation and the need for a very focused and enterprise-wide compliance program became necessary. And so I was asked to serve as the chief compliance officer back in 2005. So essentially, I've been in the compliance space ever since then. This is, I'm now with the Metro Health System in Cleveland, and this is my third organization serving as the chief ethics and compliance officer. That's cool. And uh, that's a great, it's always interesting to see how people sort of leverage their education and their passions and found out things that work and what worked and, you know, led them on this fabulous career. So I want to start first with compliance, but I want to move to your, your new role as well in a minute. And I th- when I think about compliance, think about the digital age. So what is the role? Can you just explain really like what the role is, corporate compliance, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the digital side. Well, I appreciate, Ed, your reference to the collaborative and consultative nature, because that's something that I believe is very important in establishing the function of compliance. It's not the internal police. It's not the enforcers of policies, but it's really providing support and resources that make it easy for employees to do the right thing. So whether it's establishing policies, providing training or other communication, we have standards and values that we have to follow. And our role is just making sure it's easy for employees to know what's expected of them and to follow those standards. Is there anything special? And maybe there's not, but when it comes to the digital world, you know, we are digital voices and we're like coming from a tech and digital background. Is there anything specific with corporate compliance? Is there any nuance when it comes to sort of that technical digital world? I will say in the last five years, maybe seven years, compliance has really shifted dramatically to becoming more data-driven. And gone are the days of using spreadsheets to manage data and trying to capture the information that we need. We now look at 
what are employees looking at in terms of policies or sections of the code of conduct? And where are the reports coming from that come through our hotline? And that's what drives our decision making. So if we determine we need, we want to go out and do training to a de- particular department, we'll look at that data that we have that shows who's accessing the code, what are they looking at to troubleshoot and figure out what do we need to train about. It's no longer, you know, just doing this broad swath of training. We're being much more targeted and intentional about the topics in the audience. And we're always assessing and evolving our processes to incorporate technology. So in the last several years, we've moved to automation in some of our audit activity. We also have a digital experience for our code of conduct. So it's no longer a booklet or a 50-page document that we're handing employees at orientation, but now it's a URL that they can access and we can change it and add videos and questions that may get frequently asked by employees to make it continually evolving. Another example, and this is more aspirational for us, but every organization has procedures that have to be followed. And we'd like to transform all of our written procedures into videos. We know YouTube is such a a resource for learning you know, how to fix your leaky faucet or whatever you might need help with. And you watch a video and you become, you know, a master plumber. And so how do you start a pick line? How do you insert a central line? There's so many procedures within healthcare that would be best served through video. Yeah, those are great, great examples. And it's not surprising that you would uh, be thinking about those sort of things and doing those sort of things. Are there any specific areas that digital or tech leaders should watch out for? Like, are there any bugaboos that maybe just wouldn't, think of until you run into them? Like, you know what I'm saying? Well, I think in healthcare, we have so many different platforms for information that are of a digital nature. And on a given day, even someone in my role might access 10 different platforms or applications to do my job. So whether it's our case management system for the hotline, our policy management, our learning management, we've got HR management systems, ERP, of course, the electronic health record. And now in my new role in employee engagement, we've got engagement survey data. And so figuring out how we can integrate some of this information in these platforms so that it can lead to more informed decision-making and being able to look at issues from an enterprise level. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And how would you recommend, so some of our audience, whether some are senior, some are newer in their careers, what sort of relationship or how should they approach or what's the ideal relationship like working with compliance? What's some maybe proactive things they could do, whether they're a small organization or a large organization? Clearly, technology helps facilitate our work. I mean, it's ubiquitous. It's in everything that we do. We used to think about compliance as a check the box kind of exercise. It was something that was looked upon as a cost of doing business. But now that the field has evolved and we've begun to embed ethics into the scope of compliance, it really is more than just a a cost of doing business. It's really a market differentiator in many respects. And so I feel like we have to think about compliance and of course the 
technological ways in which we advance what we're doing through improved processes and so forth, how are we doing so in a way that builds trust, that stays true to our ethical values, and attracts not only our customers, but our employees as well? And so it, it has to become embedded in the fabric of who we are, not just that drain on the bottom line that right. is a cost of doing business. Yeah, no, I, I love that. That's super forward thinking. Like you said, a differentiator. Let's switch to your new role. So is this new role in addition to your current? So it's Chief Employee Engagement Officer. So congratulations. And Thank you. yeah, tell us about that role. Is it in addition to, is it completely different? And is it new for Metro? Just give us the insider scoop. Yes. Well, it is new for Metro. It's a very new function. And I think the most analogous area is the Office of Patient Experience. So that's been common in healthcare. And at least at Metro Health, we've had an Office of Patient Experience for probably over 15 years. But now we've established this Office of Employee Experience. And in some ways, it's been a natural progression. I think I mentioned ethics and compliance has begun to focus on culture and creating an environment where employees feel comfortable speaking up. And so a few years ago, we did an ethical culture survey, looked at the data, how fearful were employees about speaking up if they observe misconduct. And we began to address some of the responses that we heard through that survey. And then last year began to move closer to a survey focused on employee engagement. I participated in the process. I started analyzing the data. And then at some point, we realized that in the midst of this great resignation, we needed to really focus on our employee experience efforts and retention efforts. And we decided to create this position and ultimately an office of employee experience to demonstrate to our workforce that it's not just about the patients, but it's really about those of us who come to work in healthcare every day. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I love the concept completely. It's sort of a la- natural evolution of sort of the tra- traditional HR function into more of this experience function, much like we went from technical, like an IT world, world we sort of went from technical to digital. So it's, is it a natural evol- evolution like that? I think it is. Interestingly, this new office is outside of our HR function. It's it's completely separate. And I think we've recognized that while HR plays a very key role in employee engagement, they also have a number of different systems and processes that they have to manage for the organization. And so we tried to keep this separate. And I think we're going to see employee engagement evolving as sort of a standalone function, whether it resides within HR in some organizations or is completely separate, I think we'll begin to observe that as time goes on because we're really seeing, you know, a whole new development of focus for how we care for our employees. Yeah. And it's similar, right, on the IT side where in some some organizations have digital outside of IT technology because it is sort of a different focus and uh, not necessarily one and the same in other organizations. Yeah, it just depends on the culture and, and where they are in terms of their overall maturity might be together. But I can understand perfectly why you have it separated out. How do you measure success for something like experience? I get it completely. I'm all about employee experience and, and the importance out of it, of it. But how would you measure success? Like two years from now, how would you say, hey, what we did, you know, 
worked? Well, ultimately, we're looking to improve our annual employee engagement scores. We will be conducting that survey every year, but there's a lot of different metrics that we can look at. So we can look at retention rates. We can look at the number of applicants that we're getting for positions. One that I want to begin to measure is how many internal referrals are we getting for job applicants? So if our employees are talking to their friends and their family members saying, hey, you should really consider this job at Metro Health, I would say that's a a pretty good indicator that our employees feel very positively about their work environment. So I have a little bit of a curveball question because I'm really interested because, you know, I read all about the great resignation and things like that. The current cohort, the youngest cohort that's coming into the workplace today, what are some of their top things that they are looking for to get out of their roles in serving in healthcare or, or in the workplace versus maybe someone in a, you know, like a baby boomer? Are there some differences that you've seen already? Very significant differences. So connecting one's work with purpose and making sure that they're what drives them as an individual is consistent with the work that they're doing. So they have to feel connected to their own personal values and that the, the organization reflects those values. Flexibility is key and having the ability to build your work life around your personal life and not the reverse, which is how most of us who are older began our careers where, you know, you just kind of fit your life into your work schedule. And I think most significantly is the stability that younger people feel comes from mobility. In other words, it's all about development. It's all about skill and talent development. And so younger folks feel more secure when they're changing jobs more frequently because they're having a new experience, they're in a new department, working with new people, and that to them is more valuable than longevity in a position. And so they feel like the more they move around, the better off they are. And so one of the keys that we're looking at driving is encouraging that mobility within the organization rather than going outside to find that other experience, creating those opportunities within the organization. That's great insight. And, you know, for our listeners who are leaders in digital is giving your fellow caregivers, your fellow employees, an opportunity to move around. It's better for them to move around within your organization than get recruited out of your organization and you lose all that experience and and things of that nature. So that's really good. And speaking of which, you've done that rather well. I know our listeners already picked up on it. I knew it already, but you know, lawyer, compliance, ethics, now experience, and you've done it within some of the same organizations like at Metro. So you've pivoted yourself. Any one or two pieces of advice for other leaders that are listening, like that are maybe mid-career or later thinking, you know, because when they hear about the young people, they're like, oh yeah, that works for them, but not for me because I'm already, you know, too far gone. But obviously you have pivoted. So any words of wisdom? I think it's really about lifelong learning. And I really didn't know a whole lot about employee engagement before I took on this new role. And so I've completely immersed myself in learning in the last six months in this area. And while it's still evolving as a field, there's so much out there. And I think as you find, if you're reading books, if you're listening to podcasts, if you are 
finding people to bounce ideas off of, serve as a mentor, it helps shape your understanding of things and allows you to get involved in areas that may be somewhat outside of your traditional scope of responsibility. And I think when others observe the value that you bring to projects that are outside of your typical scope, they begin to notice that. And, you know, it can segue into an actual position. One interesting statistic that I've learned is that by the year 2030, 65% of the jobs don't exist today. So you think about how many new kinds of opportunities there will be as in the next eight years. And so who's going to do those jobs? People will have to evolve and pivot from where they are to take on some of these newer roles and responsibilities. So I just hired two new roles, a director of listening and a director of flourishing. And I can tell you, if I went to LinkedIn and looked up director of flourishing, I didn't find anybody with that job title. And so these are the kinds of unusual opportunities that will begin to surface. And we have to identify what are the skills that we have that are transferable that we can utilize in these new and evolving roles. Yeah, Cheryl, this is great. You know, we originally were focused on sort of the compliance part and, but you're dropping in a lot of really good, solid career advice and for anyone, right? And no matter where they are in their careers and and that, uh, that, stat that you dropped about in the year 2030, 65% of jobs don't exist today. And the examples that you gave, it's like, yes, it's real. You So along those same lines, is there anything else you would say to recent grads? So I could see you speaking now at a commencement ceremony at Case, you know, there in Cleveland or Cleveland State. What would you say? What Maybe one or two other things that you would say for people as they embark on their careers? Well, this is easy because I have a son who just graduated from college and is just uh, figuring out what he wants to do. And I'm he's really taking this advice to heart, which is find something that you love doing. And while I, I know the practice of law might seem like a stretch, but it's really being a problem solver and working with people to help make their lives better. And really, that's what lawyers do. That's what medical professionals do as well. It's very similar. For new grads, I would also say learn how to write. We communicate so much through the written word and having good writing skills is critically important. But probably the the most important thing I would say is never underestimate the value of face-to-face communication. We've experienced through this pandemic the shift to virtual world. And while that has helped in so many ways and has had so many benefits, there's something to be said for just looking at somebody face-to-face where you can see their whole body and not just from the shoulders up. And I know lots of young people who have taken jobs and worked in a company for more than a year and they've never met anybody that they work with face-to-face. Those are, again, some really good tips and advice. I agree with all of them. And it is amazing that 
the number of individuals that I still run into today that can't write, you know, well to get their points across. And it, and it, and it shows up too in presentations, right? I used to always stress to people and I, and with my kids, I would, I put them through Dale Carnegie, you know, <laughs> early in their life because I wanted them to know how to express themselves and how to present ideas and, and just to write, you know, and be convincing. And, and that is something, I'm not a lawyer, but that's one of the benefits of being, you know, going through the training of being a lawyer, right? Is you learn how to present arguments and, your points of view and things like that. So those are all really good stuff. I want to, as in our last couple of minutes, I want to shift to something else. So we've been friends for 20 years that we established. I did the math 2022 to uh, 2002. And I also, we're Facebook friends. And I've seen you a couple of times when I've been in Cleveland and you seem to have a balanced life. And I know that you're, um, you know, you're married and you go places and uh, how do you do that? So that's the question that I'm getting at is you've got this great career and you've pivoted in your career and you've done all these great things. And you're also, you know, you got the family. So any advice that you have about how to balance those? It's more of an integration. I think technology has enabled that. We can work from anywhere. We can work at any time of the day or night. But really to be able to feel like you're not always on requires you to schedule that time for yourself and to set some boundaries and turn off the computer. So many people work from home now. And one of the challenges that has created is it doesn't enable you to literally walk away and leave the office because you're just going from one room in your home to another. And so figuring out what those boundaries are, whether it's time-based or turning your ringer off and deciding that you're going to enjoy your dinner without being interrupted by an email or a phone call and really using your vacation time. There's no shame in taking time away and also letting people know that you will not be available while you're away. And I think protecting that time allows us to recharge and come back refreshed and eager to resume working when you've had that opportunity to, to get away for a little bit. That's great advice. And at Divergent, we, when people are on vacation, we have a policy you can't contact them. So no emails or nothing. So they're not tempted to go look at email because there's not going to be anything there for you. So That's great. Yeah, I love are, that. Those are some good practices that you have. So one last question, and then I want to leave sort of the end for you. And that is, you've worked with a lot of, you know, throughout your career, a lot of tech leaders, IT, CIOs, you know, any specific advice for tech leaders? Or is it maybe it's all the same as, as the other advice you've given? Well, I would say speak in English yeah. because we don't always understand your language and trying to explain things in a way that makes sense for those of us who don't live in the, the digital tech world is helpful. Just like in healthcare, we speak in acronyms and we're always having to provide that translation for people outside of the healthcare world or even just our, our board members. But figuring out what is the problem we're trying to solve and working together as a team to help facilitate those discussions. It's not just about using technology to solve the problem. You've got to have a, a solid process in place before you implement the technology. But figure out what is that what is that issue you're trying to solve? Yeah, that's good stuff. Man, we covered a lot of ground. We talked about compliance at first and got a lot of great insights and how digital has changed compliance and how you leverage digital. 
that we talked about being, you know, the employee experience, talking about the employee experience officer and sort of that need. And then you dropped all sorts of goodies. I have a whole page of notes on ideas on, you know, really making the best in the workplace, doing your best and getting great results. And we talked a lot about leadership and we ended here with uh, sort of the digital, you know, insights on digital leaders. So Cheryl, we covered a lot, but is there anything that else that you want to share with us or anything you want to double down on as we close? I would just say, have a plan, make a plan, you know, set a goal. And sometimes even if you set out to accomplish one thing, you might detour and and go in a different direction, but at least you start out having a plan to know where you're going. And that has served me well. Yeah, that's again, great, great advice. And I I love catching up with you. You're, you're such a a uh, breath of fresh air and just a delightful person. And I, I miss working with you, but certainly next time I'm up in Cleveland, I'll try to reconnect. Love to see you, Ed. Always so, great. Thanks for being on our show. All right. Thank you. Be well. Okay. That concludes Digital Voices. I, I hope you saw why I was so excited to reconnect with Cheryl and hope to talk to you at our next drop. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.